You're listening to a 95 BFM podcast. The Labour Party was one of many to criticise the National Party's policy announcements of minimising welfare for youth and focusing on pushing them into work. However, the Auckland Action Against Poverty Group has called out the government for their own actions of sanctioning those on the benefit. They claim Labour has cut benefits of around 4,000 people who aren't well, are injured or are living with a disability in the past five years. To learn more, I spoke to Brooke Stanley Powell from the organisation about their frustrations. She started by going into more detail about the government's actions against those on welfare. Well, recent statistics show that they've been sanctioning people living with disabilities and medical conditions over the past five years. So around 4,000 people have been sanctioned. So that can either be a reduction in your benefit or removal of your whole benefit. And that's um, if you're not meeting obligations, if you're not showing up um, for work courses that they might put you in um, if you're not answering your phone or you kind of stop communications, um, if you're failing to meet obligations with them. Um, We know, though, that they also sanction people who aren't living with disabilities or have medical conditions as well. It's a very normal practice at work and income, actually. What are the reasons that the government are placing these sanctions on people underneath welfare? So, um, as I mentioned before, it's failing to meet obligations. So, in order to receive your benefit, you have to kind of um, attend certain workshops that they might put on for you in order to prepare you for work. You might have to keep in communication with your case manager. Um, You might have to provide documentation to ensure that you can keep receiving your benefit. Um, If you fail to comply with what they're asking for, then they can sanction you. Labour, actually successive governments have used this as a tool to kind of force people or coerce people into becoming ready for work. Um, And if you don't kind of comply with what they're asking for, then they can reduce your benefit up to 50% or they can remove it altogether. Why might people be missing these obligations? Um, There are a whole bunch of reasons why people um, might not turn up for work seminars. Uh, They might not find them meaningful. They might be busy. Um, Often people have young children that they need to take care of, and that's not considered to be work within the system, which, in our opinion, that's some of the most important work. Um, You know, people living with disabilities and have medical conditions, their well-being might not be 100%. Um, And so... I heard Carmel Cipollone talking the other day about how they're using this practice as kind of a tool to help people meet their aspirations. And I don't know how forcing people into doing something that they don't want to do or isn't kind of aligned with their own aspirations. Like whose aspirations are we talking about here? Are we talking about the people that they're supporting or are we talking about Labour's aspirations for people? Because those are two very different things. Labour has been very critical of recent about their calls to cut down on welfare and push people further into work. How has this developed with the issues that you guys have seen with their own pushing of welfare restrictions? I mean, like I mentioned, like forcing people into work, because often the work and the jobs that people, that MSD are offering through work and income are um, low paid and therefore low valued. Um, And so... Often these jobs aren't meaningful, and and we find that people are working actually, but it's work that I mentioned earlier. The society doesn't recognise as being work, like caring for your children, raising children, caring for um, 
sick people and your family, like volunteering in your community, people being able to choose what they want to do with their own lives and their own power, we think is way more important and way more sustainable in terms of, um, you know, keeping people active. Um, and it also kind of is a way of preparing for a just transition. Um, if we can identify what essential work is required in our communities, and it's working with local communities as well to figure out what it is, then kind of we can all carry each other and make sure that everybody's looked after. Um, because we can't actually, I don't know if people realise that the government realises we can't continue to be, we can't continue to be upholding a capital, a colonial capitalist system. It's literally on the brink of collapse. And so what are we doing now to prepare ourselves in order to move into something um, that's more whole, that's more connected, um, and that actually where people feel empowered. How much freedom do people who are trying to move into these government-applied jobs have to choose their careers and choose the way that their life goes? Yeah, there's not a lot of choices, actually. Um, kind of, you get given a um, a case manager and they, they'll work with you to figure out what you want, but you don't get a choice to study if you want to study... Um, you don't really get a choice in the types of work that you that you want to do. They kind of offer you a range of jobs that are available and you have to choose from them. So there's not a lot of freedom in this space. On the ground, what are the practical effects of these sanctions on those on the benefit? On the ground, if you're being sanctioned, if 50% of your benefit is being reduced or your whole benefit is cut, then it's kind of like what are people... I don't know what MSD think when they're cutting people's benefits, when they're already below the poverty line, how they expect people to live. They can't pay their rent. They can't pay for food. They sh First of all, it stresses people out. It really stresses people out because it's like people are living day to day often um, and often they're thinking about mainly it's housing insecurity. Am I going to be kicked out of my house? Am I going to be homeless? like in a week or so, um, and I, am I going to be able to get food or feed my kids? <clears throat> am I going to be able to pay for um, power? Am I going to be able to, yeah, get around? Um, I mean, I think for those of us who are working and who have money to be able to do these things, we kind of take these things for granted, right? We don't think about, oh, what if your, all your money gets cut? It's, it's, initially, it's, it's essentially that. What happens when those of us who are working, we don't get paid anymore? Like, what would happen to us as well if that happens? Um, yeah, we don't... And people living on a benefit, they often don't have... I mean, you essentially cut everybody's choices, right? Um, what changes do you think need to be made to the system? I think we need to change the whole system, to be honest. And uh, I think we need constitutional transformation... Um, we need to move towards Mati Um I think within the welfare space, because it's, we're not just experiencing issues in the welfare space, we're experiencing issues across this whole system. And that's because it's been designed in a way that it's disconnected. Um, so we need a system, yeah, that's been kind of envisioned for us, that's been set out in Mati Kemai. In the welfare space, we'd like livable incomes for all. We want universal services. We want all sanctions to be removed from the welfare space. And we want individualised income support. So 
at the moment, if you're in a relationship, um, what your partner gets will impact whether or not you're eligible for income support. Um, so we want all these things to be removed so that essentially people in communities can choose what they want to do with their own lives and their own power. That was Brooke Stanley Power from Auckland Action Against Poverty chatting about benefit cuts. That was a 95BFM podcast. Support 95BFM with a B card. Go to 95BFM.com slash sign up.